Let me um, also kind of chime in about the services that are coming up on the 22nd, the 24th, and the 34, uh, 31st. Um, on all of those days, we're not offering a separate children's program. And the reason being is we want all the kids from zero all the way up to just be in here with us. And so there will be a time when babies will be making noise and, and Christmas Eve um, service. We normally, what we do is we create a program where there's a little coloring book and things like that and give them a piece of crayon. And the kids, some, some of them just get on the ground and just, you know, uh, do stuff while, while we have worship. It's a great time uh, to worship with the whole family. And we intentionally created a 20-second afternoon service in case you want to invite your grandparents or the, your children's grandparents to come and see their grandkids here on a, a Sunday um, you know, and worship with them and watch them perform and things of that nature. So please uh, don't miss, on that up, uh, miss out on that opportunity. Um, you know, I believe... There are two types of students, two types of students in the world. There are those who tolerate group projects, okay? Maybe you're very, uh, you love people, you don't mind working alongside of them, but I don't know too many people who really love group assignments. So there are those who tolerate group projects and those who hate group projects. And I am going to guess that the vast number of you belong to the second category. You just don't like group projects because you are competent, responsible, and independent, and you hate it uh, uh, when you are placed on a team and you get frustrated uh, when you're, uh, you're placed on a team filled with people who are not as competent, irresponsible and are trying to bum off of your hard work, right? I see mo a lot of you are, yeah, yeah, you know. Um, I remember when one of my daughters was in junior high school, we got a note from her teacher saying, um, your daughter is going to get a zero on this project. The reason being is that project had plagiarism. They just copy the section and just, boom. It just didn't sound like, our, you know, like what happened. And she goes, it wasn't me. Uh, it was this other kid who just copied and, and we just put it together and, and presented it. And the teacher is going to fail all of us. And, um, you know, my girls, they're, they're, they're all, you know, competent and responsible and, and things like that. She, she, was, she was horrified. And so, you know, as, as um, angry Asian parent, we're like, what do we do? Uh, do we have a conversation, uh, et cetera? Uh, what if we're wrong? What if it was our daughter, right? Uh, later on, the teacher preemptively sent us a note saying, um, everything's okay. The other student confessed. That student will fail. Your child will be okay, right? Um, my girls when they announce a group project, uh, they either had one of two strategies. Number one is they, they pick out, they, all, they know who the smart ones are in the room. And, and as soon as it's announced afterwards, they go, hey, you want, let's, let's, you know, we're like they're making eye contact, right? The driven kids. Yeah, let's, let's form a team. Or uh, if the, the group is assigned to them, they just, you know, my girls just say, I'll do all the work. 
you get credit, I'll just, I'll do it. It's easier for me, <laughs> right? Uh, I have a feeling that many of you are like that. And, and to be honest, much of what we do in life, that's okay, right? We just work hard. We begin, like we're really responsible and we're competent and we can get a lot done. But listen carefully. When we want to do man-sized work, we can get by with doing it alone. But when, when God gives to us a God-sized work, we find out that no matter how competent we are, no matter how responsible we are, no matter how hardworking we are, we can't accomplish that God-sized work. We're in the book of Romans, uh, and so if you would turn your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Um, and we'll be in verses 14 through the end. And this particular passage reads, I think, like a, a prayer letter that you might get from a missionary friend. So you recall, like, for many of you, you received missionary letters. And the missionary would, would describe what they're doing. And, and then, like, hey, pray for me in this way. Or would you join us, etc. And in this particular section, it sounds a lot like Paul is writing to this church as a missionary would. And so I'm going to be reading uh, chapter 15 of Romans, starting verse 14 all the way to the end. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus. Then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power and signs, but by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way uh, to Erechim, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, uh, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Uh, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Continuing in Romans 15, 22, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey uh, there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have some have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered 
from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. This was the reading of God's word. Lord Jesus, we come before you and may we bow our hearts and our needs to the word uh, that was given, that has been given to us uh, millennials ago, uh, that we know applies to us even today, the church today. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to look at this in two sections, uh, the gospel work and then gospel invitation, the gospel work. What Paul is going to say is that the work that he's doing is not man-sized, but God-sized. It's not something that one can do alone but, but a work that has to be done with others by the power of God. And the reason why he's uh, going to argue that it is a God-sized work is, first of all, uh, gospel work is a priestly work. It is a priestly work. Now, let me explain what a priest technically did. Uh, we find this in the Old Testament. We find this in other religions. But a priest is someone who stands in the gap between a holy God and sinful people. Does that make sense? A priest is someone who mediates. Uh, when God says, listen, here is my desire, my command, the priests receive that and speaks that to uh, sinful people who, uh, who are not as sensitive to the words of the uh, uh, holy God. And then when, when sinful men and women say, forgive us, we lack, and it is the priests who say, let me speak to God on your behalf with sacrifices and such. It is a, a God work. And, and we think that, that perhaps this didn't exist in the New Testament, but the way that Paul describes his ministry, it is not simply volunteerism, 501c3, good work, uh, charity work, but it is a God work, a priestly work. Listen to the language that is used, verse 16 and 17, to be a minister of Christ Jesus. The word uh, minister in the Greek is liturgos, which uh, in biblical literature is used of religious and ritual service or servant. It is a religious kind of a word. Uh, a word. Uh, to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Again, the word priestly uh, means something in relation to temple sacrifices. And continuing, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. The work that he's doing allows uh, the offering um, to be acceptable and sanctified by God. So Paul saw his work this way. He saw himself as the mediator between a holy God and sinful people and his audience, the people whom he was ministering to in particular were the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And his goal in ministry is allow them to become acceptable, an acceptable sacrifice to God. It was a transcendent work. The ministry, the work that Paul was doing, listen, was not a man-sized work, but God-sized work. There's a second reason why it is God's size. It is not only a priestly work, but it is a powerful work. The gospel work is a powerful work. Verse 18, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by 
And, and here's the key, by word, which is logos, which is truth, there can be no gospel without gospel truth. And deed, uh, in Greek, is ergo, which means to do. It is working. It is not simply uh, a ministry of words, but ministry of uh, deeds also. Okay, the reason, listen carefully, the reason why Christianity or our evangelical work is so ineffective at times is because sometimes in some parts of the church, we're good at correctness, at truth. But it's not well received because there's no good works, no changed lives, no fruit of the Spirit in the person delivering the truth. And when that happens, you know what we sound like to the world? 1 Corinthians 13 talks about it. We sound like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And when we have the good news without good works, this is what happens. Um, we sound empty or worse, our truth seems like lies to the world. And Paul says the reason this is a God-sized work. And in fact, when we do ministry uh, in the name of Christ, and we keep it a man-sized work, we are in danger of, of transforming the gospel messages just into good advice. We've got to do it under the power of the Holy Spirit uh, with signs and wonders, of, uh, with, with, with the spirit of fullness in us. Um, Young Moon, who is our Compassion uh, International representative, told me that uh, one of the work that they, uh, one of the countries that they're involved in is in a country called Indonesia. It's a vastly Muslim country. Uh, and if you know Indonesia, it's actually, it's, it is actually the biggest Muslim country in the world. And what's unique is it's filled with a bunch of little islands. And they established a compassion center in one of the remote islands, which is vastly Muslim again. And, and children were being ministered unto, lives were changing. The Muslim leaders found out about this compassion program, this Christian program through this church, and, and they were upset. And so uh, the Muslim leaders and some of their followers came to the compassion center in the church, surrounded it with intent to do harm. When the parents of some of these children found out, they quickly uh, came to the church and they made an inner circle surrounding the church to try to protect the church and the program. And the Muslim leader said to some of the parents, how can you protect the church? You yourself are Muslims. To which the parents replied, listen, these Christians, they weren't Christians, but these Christians, Provided, uh, provide programs for our children during the day. They provide food when they're hungry. They provide medical care when necessary. What have you done? By word and by deed. And the third reason why this is a God-sized work and not simply a mad-sized work, it, it's not only priestly, not only powerful, but for Paul, it, it was a, a pioneering work, a pioneering work. Look at verses 19 and on. So that from Jerusalem and all the way to Eryckum, um, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition 
to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Now, most of us live in areas, I think I'm, I'm going to guess that almost all of us live in areas where there is gospel saturation, meaning that someone in your neighborhood, if they want it, they can find the church within easy driving distance, right? Um, Brea, uh, we, our church is in a wonderful city. Um, it, you know, we have a relationship with the city, the faith community does, um, in which I am still allowed to, and in fact, once a year, uh, during a, a, a month, I pray at the city council meetings or the, or the planning department meetings. When I go there, a lot, of the, a lot of the commissioner, the politicians, they know me. I say, hey, how you doing that? Right? Um, the city uh, uh, planner knows me. So if we, when we built out the second floor over there, I call them and say, hey, what do you think? We're going to do this. What do you think? Uh, we still are able to have a marriage prayer breakfast. And in fact, this last year, we had a marriage prayer breakfast. The who's who of the city came. A lot of the pastors were there. And um, I introduced a guest, the guest speaker who is a friend of mine, Alex John. Um, if someone in Brea wanted to visit a church, all they have to do is stumble onto one on Lambert Road, right? You pass many a churches here. And in some way... Doing gospel work or church work or spiritual Christian work, um, it's not as hard or that hard around here. But Paul says that his calling, his assignment that God gave to him was to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. And it's hard for us in the West, in uh, Orange County, to uh, think of a place where the name of Christ has not been named. That kind of work, ministering in a place where it's an unreached people group, missiologists would call them, is a harder ministry because there is less familiarity, less uh, finance, and less friendship. It's more of a struggle. Um, some of you may know that some of our staff, uh, field staff, and we call them field staff instead of missionaries because they work in closed countries in which if their work was discovered, uh, they would put the work in danger. And so we just kind of got in the habit of saying, hey, there, there are field staff. They're like staff members, but overseas. I asked them, what is it, what is it like ministering in an, in an area where it's vastly unreached, where the name of Christ is somewhat unknown? And one of our field staff uh, who uh, works in East Asia, a country where uh, the churches have been heavily persecuted, in particular this past year, where Christian workers have been jailed and um, those that are suspected of doing Christian work have been uh, denied visas and are getting kicked out all the time. This person said, yes, that people would have heard of Jesus, but it's a foreign thing to them. Their association with, uh, of Jesus would be similar to how we would think of Buddha. Their knowledge of Jesus would be the same as Santa or Bill Gates. The average person, this is what this person said, the average person would know more about Spider-Man than they would about Jesus. And there is no association that Jesus is the Son of God and the full extent of the gospel. But when they're engaged in God's size work, this is what could happen. 
our friend Sally came to know Jesus, and I'm pretty sure this is not her real name. Our friend Sally came to know Jesus, but it was hard for her to make sense of it all. There was so much pressure from her family, like it is a cult, and also in her logical mind, it didn't make any sense. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit was she finally able to understand grace, and she still struggles to this day. Another one of our field staff who works in Central Asia, a vastly Muslim area, said that the average person in the country would not have heard the gospel. Here's a testimony in which they describe, when I first met Erica in 2003, she knew God because her mother is a devoted Muslim who prays a lot. I read Genesis with her and she got to know who God really is. And then from reading John, she got to know Jesus. Prior to the reading, she told me she hadn't even heard of Jesus. It was sad to discover that someone had never heard of his name, yet it was exciting at the same time for me to introduce Jesus to her. But for most parts, I know, um, because I know these families well, that most of the time the work that they're doing is mundane and not that exciting. They struggle with living just life in a different country, shopping, cooking, figure out what to do about their kids' education, um, revolving friends who continue to go back home, expats, always feeling like outsiders, and when they're on social media, uh, they see what's going on in this country, um, and it's hard for them. Man-sized work is easy, but God-sized work, it's a struggle. Paul describes his work, and then he gives an invitation in verses 22 through 33. He talks about the cities that he's going to be visiting, three cities. He says in verse 23 through 24, but now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while, he says, I'm, I want to visit you in Rome He's writing to a church that he, in which he hasn't been. Uh, these are strangers to him in some ways, but he says, I want to I see you face to face. And I want to uh, enjoy your company. In some way, like a lot of uh, missionaries, uh, what he may be indirectly saying is, um, I want to go and perhaps you can partner with me financially. Uh, but Paul... Um, if you just kind of know him and his letters, you realize that his primary uh, desire for partnership was never about finance. In fact, uh, the lack of finance never stopped him from any work. He, he would go bivocational. He would be a tent maker if necessary. But what he's actually asking for, if you kind of read carefully, he's saying, I want to visit you, you saints in Rome, because I want to enjoy your company for a while. You know what he's asking for? He's asking for friendship. He's, he's, he's saying, you know, I'm, I'm doing this work, and it's hard, because I'm, I'm going to these pioneering places where there are no churches, no friends, no, no uh, programs for our children, and things of that nature. And I, I need you to, to give me your heart. 
I remember talking to a missionary one time, and I don't know if one of ours or someone else's, but one of the things um, this missionary said is that, you know, we send out our prayer letters monthly or quarterly, and uh, this person said something kind of honestly, you know, we send out a lot, but sometimes we don't know if anyone reads it because we don't get any responses. No one says anything. And, and they're not, this person wasn't expecting like long whatever, but just even an acknowledgement that you've been heard. And I, I think for me, I, I was really convicted, to be honest with you. Um, you know, for our field staff, I, I read all the things that they give me, but I didn't think it was important to respond. Um, but I think their heart is, I, I want to enjoy your presence. Uh, I want you to acknowledge uh, just, just the work that we're doing. And so, you know, next time you get a, a, a letter, an email from uh, people who are doing gospel work around the world, just even just replying back, thinking of you. Um, I don't say praying for you or God or anything like that because oftentimes they're in a close country, but something to that effect. Uh, this next city that he, he talks about going to is that of Jerusalem. Verse 25, at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution to the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. So something was happening at the city of uh, Jerusalem, the church of Jerusalem. That's where, the, uh, where Christianity started. Okay? That's the mother church. Something was happening where there was poverty. People were poor. Like Christians were poor. And you know what? Poor then is different from poor today. When you say, oh, we're so poor, you're thinking, I, you know, um, I don't know if I can keep uh, paying for 24-hour fitness. That's, that's our definition of poor, right? You know, we're so, we're, we live in such a skewed country that I'm so poor, I can't pay um, money to go to a place to lose weight because I'm eating too much food. Do you see the irony of that? Right? But what was happening in Jerusalem and in that culture, when someone is poor, they literally can't feed their family. So this was what was going on at the church of Jerusalem. And Paul was going around and, and telling the other churches around Europe, uh, Middle East, um, hey, this is, what go, uh, this is what's, what's going on. One of the churches that is sending help is the church um, at Macedonia. Okay? There's a church at Philippi, uh, that area. Now, you and I, if we just read Romans, maybe under the impression that Macedonians were uh, rich people. Like they're the, um, the, the, I don't know, your Belinda or Irvine. I, I don't know if you consider that rich, but, you know, the, the first Presbyterian Church of Bel Air type of thing. So, yeah, they had a lot of disposable income. And so, yeah, there you go. Um, when Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and Corinth was a wealthy city, he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, this. 
We want you to know, and he's kind of like jabbing at the Corinthians, by the way. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Here's that church. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their, what does it say? Say it with me. Extreme poverty. Not poverty, but extreme poverty. Have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They were extremely poor, but they, were, um, they had an overflow in a wealth of generosity. And listen, like Paul was visiting the, the church at, at Macedonia, he's like, you guys are like dirt poor. Like you have so little. For they gave according to their means, I, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. I didn't compel them. I didn't guilt them. But they, but they wanted to give. They didn't give what they could. They give, gave more than they should have. Listen. He goes further. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Paul, the apostle, the missionary, the church planner, saying, no, no, no. You, you need this for your family more than. They said, no, no. Please let us give. God-sized work means that we need to be able to partner, not when it's simply convenient for us, right? But when it's sometimes painful for, painful for us. This past week, I was on a phone, uh, like a video conference uh, with some uh, Christian leaders from around the world. Um, the Luzanne movement, it's a, it's a uh, missionary movement, probably the biggest, uh, most organized in the world. Um, the director, Michael Lowe, and... and there was about 20-some leaders on the video phone call. I don't, I don't, for some reason, I got invited. I don't, I don't have anything really to contribute. Um, but I just thought it would be cool, so I got on. And in the beginning, I thought it was just four people, so I was joking around with Michael. Hey, Michael, you know what? And then the, the moderator said, oh, by the way, 20-some other leaders heard what you were just saying. I go, Oops. <laughs> I, I stopped talking after that. Um, we got in a time where we were supposed to break up into smaller groups, so there were about eight leaders, and the question that was asked was, what's the biggest hindrance in, in the church fulfilling the Great Commission? What is the greatest hindrance? Uh, there was a pastor from Ghana who was on my little discussion group, and he talked about how the global church north, meaning the churches like in Europe, North America, parts of Asia, north of the equator, had an abundance of resource, like 80% of the church's resource laid in northern, global north. While the global church south, Latin America, Africa, and places like that, were in, in need, but lack uh, the resources that the northern global church can give. And the rest of us on that little team we're all from north. And the Ghana pastor saying, we have millions of Christians and, you know, we need your help, basically. He continues from Rome to Jerusalem to the third city that he talks about is Spain. That if you recall, if you just kind of can imagine a map where Jerusalem is, um, he is going to go to Italy, which is the boot. Um, Rome, right there, which is about halfway in Europe, right? 
And the, the furthest west is um, Spain. And the name of Christ hasn't been named there. It is vastly unreached. And he says, that's where God is sending me. Uh, to a place where they need the gospel. And so I want to stop in Rome. I want to build friendship with you. I want to have a part of your heart. I want us to partner together because this work is a work that is God-sized, not man-sized. He asks, verse 14, uh, verse 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my way uh, my journey there by you once I enjoyed your company for a, for a while. He's asking uh, indirectly financial support, but like I said, Paul never uh, not did ministry because he, he didn't have the funding. If he was in a country and he didn't have enough funds, he would just find a job, uh, a blue-collar job if necessary to support himself, and he would do work. You know, one of the things I really appreciate about Living Hope is that so many of our staff members are bivocational. You know, they have full-time employment, and they, they give above and beyond. And a lot of you do, too. Uh, he, he, he could use the, the financial support, but that's not his primary thing. He says, I want your friendship. I want your heart. I want you to care. Secondly, in verse 30, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm reading from the NIV, and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. I not only need your financial support, I not only need your heart support, but I need your prayer support. And, and he realizes that the work that I'm engaging in is not man-sized, because if it's man-sized, I can handle it, but it is a God-sized work. So you need to pray, you need to join with me in this work. If you think about it, Paul is perhaps arguably the greatest missionary pastor, theologian the world has ever known outside of Jesus Christ. If there was anyone who could do it alone, it would be Paul. But in this particular prayer letter, he's saying, help me, join me, pray for me. The thing that so many of us, because we're so, we feel like we're competent, independent, hardworking, we just don't do. I want to say that if it is a man-sized work, you can do it alone. Our church can do it alone. But if it's a God-sized work, we cannot do it alone. No church, no person it, it has all the, the giftings, the resources necessary. Let me share with you how Living Hope uh, partners uh, to accomplish, to, to tackle God-sized callings. Um, our field staff, uh, this is some of the work that they do. They, uh, one of our units here established the first Western-style medical clinics in a Central Asian country, right? Uh, it, 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 they establish a beachhead there so medical workers can go there. So if you're a doctor and you want to spend some time in a, in a country that's really vastly unreached, uh, talk to me and I'll point you to the right person. Uh, one, another one of our field staff, um, they have become the leading trainer of youth pastors in that country. 
another one of our fields out there, establish a, a school for expat children and, um, in, a, in a particular city that's uh, bustling with people but devoid of the gospel work. But these field staff members, uh, they couldn't do it alone, and they couldn't do it even with the full support of Living Hope. Other organizations, other individuals, and other churches have to partner to accomplish a, a God-sized work. Our church plan in Honduras, we didn't do it alone. We did it through compassion, through another mother church. There are times when we are in need and we ask for help. When we need to do a marriage conference, less and less repaired came. When we need to talk about aging, we ask Corey Shida to come. When we need to train people in counseling, Kim Kira and, and Tim St. John's from Lighthouse came. We're saying we need help. We, Living Hope, engage in, in, in global work, God-sized work. Do you know that anytime you give an offering, that a portion of that offering goes to a work that is beyond living hope? And we don't ever get credit for some of these things. Uh, we give significant funding to an organization called Sola Network. I'm heavily involved in it. Uh, it exists to influence an emerging generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have conferences and a website filled with resources, leadership development. Do you know part of your offering goes to that? Uh, we, we helped build out the second floor of the church plant in, in Honduras. Uh, we uh, gave to this past year, uh, this year, the Gospel Coalition, they're creating um, a training um, that uh, these pastors or Christian leaders in remote parts of the world, now a lot of them have cell phones, uh, maybe not smartphones, but cell phones, and they can download resources. We help give to that. We help give to Living Hope Community Partnership, uh, Liberty in North Korea, one-day wages. Um, uh, we, we're engaged with some church planters. In fact, one of the church planters that uh, we're engaged with sent me this text late last night. God did a thing. 80 kids got toys today, and over 200 peeps came out today. Although we were just trying to reach 100, lots of emails, lots of conversations, really needed a location. Pastor of the church said he wants to do it again next year. Also said we could try to get all the churches uh, involved. I told him that I want to have a revival in September. Smiley face, tear face, etc. And I just texted back, man, that's amazing. So proud of you, uh, etc. Because uh, he's trying to do God-sized work. And he needs uh, all of us involved in some way. Um, I don't know if you know that um, a lot of our staff members, our pastoral staff members, um, uh, and, and this is just like a culture that we have at Living Hope. We want them to tithe some of their time and energy to work that's beyond Living Hope. Work that sometimes we don't get any credit for. I, asked, I, I emailed the staff, hey, what's some of the things that you've done or you're doing outside? God's size work. Our worship director, Robbie Jung, said um, in this next February, he and the band will go to Biola University to lead a worship for a poured-out chapel, hundreds of students. Our band is going to go lead worship there. Uh, our worship intern, Helen Han, is going to be teaching at a women's conference for college students early next year. Our youth director, Chris Lee, um, and if you have a student, a high school student, and Yorba Linda, uh, 
and, and are involved in a group called Fellowship of Christian Athletes, there's a good chance that our youth director, Chris Lee, has spoken or will speak at either Yolmunda High School, El Dorado, Esperanza, or Valencia High School. He speaks to hundreds of kids. Our children's director, Min Song Lee, is on the circuit, and she trains Sunday school teachers through a, a group publishing. Our missions director, Michael Young Lee, is speaking at a youth retreat in NoCal. Our associate pastor, Ben Tabal, uh, is going to do uh, is going to meet with a group of uh, ASB high school presidents in San Diego County, and they have this thing called Washington Lincoln Laurels for leaders, and he's going to do some of the training and such. Like, you don't know any of this, right? But one of the cultures that we have in Living Hope is we can't do it all. And we need to partner with others. You know, one of the things that I do is um, I have a group of leaders that I meet with on a regular basis. Um, I have a group of, um, uh, you know, if, when you're driving here, you, you run into, you pass a bunch of churches. There's a, a thing called Brea Ministerial Association. I gather with them about a, on a, a monthly basis. And some of these senior pastors have become friends of mine now. Uh, Daniel Mendoza of Celebration, Doug Green of North Hills, Dan Cook of Brea Baptist, Rick Darden of Friends, Alan Fro of Southland, Avon Jared of The Way, Davis Hill of Firehouse, um, churches you might have passed, and they, they're friends of mine now. I've, I've gone to retreats with them, I've prayed with them, ate with them, wept with them. I have a, a group of Korean-speaking immigrant um, church pastors that I've meet with, you know, periodically. From the church across the street, Nachimban, it's not just, he's a friend of mine. From Podowan, a global mission, Hacienda Korean Church. Um, there's a group of pastors that are, that, that are on the council of Solo Network, that, which is on, I'm on the board. And these men I've become friends with, and we, when we have an annual, like, council meeting, we gather in a, a home or a, um, what do you call it, Airbnb? What do you call it? Yeah, okay, Airbnb. Um, and we spend time together, and we've just become friends, and we have a group text, and like little girls sometimes, we text each other. All right? Harold Kim from CCSC, Steve Choi from Crossway, Michael Leo, ANCC, Justin Kim from Bethel, David Larry Kim from Harvest, Min Chung from CSC, Owen Lee from CCPC, Kim Kira from Lighthouse, Hanley Liu from FCBC Walnut. And not too long ago, one of the past, one of these men uh, texted me. And I texted the whole group, actually. And he sent, me, sent us a link to something that happened in his um, area, saying, pray for me, me our church, these are people from our church. We read the news and go, oh, no. And so we were texting back, praying for him on that Sunday morning. We said, hey, we're praying for you, man. Listen, um, our pride oftentimes causes us to say, I don't need other people's help. And our pride also says, I don't want to give you help unless you give me credit. But if we want to engage in God-sized work, a transcendent work, a priestly work, a powerful work, right, a pioneering work, we have to. We have to realize that our work is not dependent on us, but the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have to humble ourselves. And I'm so grateful for living hope that you allow us to do this. And I'm so grateful that so many of you directly do this. And listen, when you are invited to a work next time, 
don't think, well, I don't have the time. It's not my passion. But rather, is this the Holy Spirit moving? I just need to be obedient. Would you pray with me?